Welcome back, everyone, to the Earth Dawn Survival Guide, the podcast for novices, journeymen, wardens, and masters. I am here. I am Dan, and my co-host, of course, is always Josh. Hello. The other master of Earth Dawn. And on today's podcast, we'll be discussing all things locational, vocational, geographic, and probably mechanical, if we have time to get to it, because today we are going to talk about par length. Yes. In detail. Forgotten much. City. Yes, and we did not forget. But if you uh, have any questions for us about anything you'd like to talk about, we answered some emails last episode. It seems to be about every two or four that we get to them. But uh, by all means, email us at edsgpodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, today is all about The Forgotten City, which featured heavily into the first novel, The Longing Ring for Earth Dawn, mm-hmm. that set the stage. It has its own little, uh, I can't say a little, massive boxed set as well. And then a standalone campaign setting, the Parlength Adventures book from the original first edition, which had yep. four not exactly linked adventures in there as well. Did it have Boat four? Loads. It had, I know there was three. It I was going to say, I thought there were four. three, but I could, I, it, it could have been Blood four. Packed, no, yeah. Blood Pack, Dead Man's Hand, Desire Box, and Threads. So, so yeah, okay. So there were four. Fair. Um, it is I also, it up, so. <laughs> yep, it is, it is also the uh, setting focus for the Legends of Earth Dawn campaign series that Mm -hmm. uh, we have been releasing uh, chapters of here over the past several months and will continue to do so for several more. Absolutely. It is a very, very important part of Bar Save's history as far as the scourge, pre-scourge, during the scourge, and then after. So it's it's a massive... Yeah, I mean, it it is important, I think, more in the sense of what it represents in terms of both the hubris of the Therans and the sheer destructive capability of the horrors. No argument. That is it, and it also provides a scope of what the culmination of ritual magic can do mm-hmm. because Par Length took a different tactic than everybody else. We should kind of start there. We've kind of glossed, uh, briefly covered it in our discussion of the timeline right. um, over many, many episodes of the podcast. But Par Length took a different tack. They said, nope, tell you what, we're going to do the old switcheroo, the Scooby-Doo magical door behind the, uh, the grandfather clock. So when the horrors come here, we'll go there and they won't notice that we're gone because we're also, by the way, going to wipe out everyone's memory of even the name par length and that we ever existed at all and leave little clues here and there that somebody will eventually find and clue in on and solve this mystery to bring us back. Yes. And um, so they yeah. bamped out of existence into astral space. Yep. Par length was par length was <laughs> a, a, the, the former Theron provincial capital. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the seat of Theron power in bar save prior to the scourge. Um, and then, as Dan said, they decided rather than build the traditional citadel, they thought that it would be better for them to remove the city from physical plane entirely and go off into its own little pocket astral dimension uh, in order to completely hide away from the horrors on the idea being that they would safely wait out the scourge and then when it was over would be able to return in the full uh, force and glory of the Theron Empire. Yes, because there was a problem, though, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah. A, some horrors went with them, and B, they went into astral space where not all horrors had left already. So it was just a, I can't quite call it a free for all, but that was, um, 
you saw that going differently in your head type <laughs> plan. So that didn't quite work out well. So during the 400 years of the scourge, the horrors were there all over it. And they were there from day one and they were there, you know, year 400. So they kind of set up camp in yeah. par length and realized, oh, that ritual magic was powerful enough. We're here for the long haul. We can't get back any quicker than we want to. Someone has to bring us back if we're in this city. Yes. And so they found ways, creative ways to pass the time. Yes. And and it is actually uh, important to note that the isolation of the city was not necessarily perfect or complete because we talked about Longing Ring last episode. The mm-hmm. despair thought that was in Jerol's head was in yes. par length. Part of the mm-hmm. reason that he was that that the horror like one of the aspects of the plot was that the the horror recognized that the ring would lead to the city being brought back, and so was trying to rather than its normal thing of driving Jerol to suicide, wanted Jerol to succeed in releasing it from its and all prison of its of compatriots, life. yeah, from from its yes. prison. Um, so it was li- it, it had the. <laughs> Yeah, it had the ability to bridge that astral barrier uh, in order to do its thing. So, you know, while the the memory of Parlanth had been wiped and so nobody really knew of its existence, it was still there. And there was still a a connection, however tenuous it might be, between the, the prosaic, mundane, physical world and whatever place that uh, it was secreted away. Yes, it is a fascinating setting to play around in. There's only one, air quotes, safe place to be uh, anywhere near there. But once you enter the walls of Part Length Man, you are <laughs> you are in a horror movie upon horror movie upon horror movie. Yes. Uh, so pick your poison. But Haven was carved out a few years ago by Torgak and yes. his crew. And they kind of set up shop and they kind of fortified this little tiny offshoot, kind of the dot over the eye of par length. And they made a, again, air quotes, safe place to be knowing that the big bad nasties are literally just over the wall right mm-hmm. there. You know, not, I can't even say down the block, but down the block right there. And so it's kind of like living next to a, uh, an airport, you know, that <laughs> something big is going to come over that wall soon. You just don't know when, and that's it. But so, there's a, a rife, ripe array of characters in and around Haven itself before you even get to the weird archaeological madness that is par length. Yeah, Haven is an adventurer's boomtown. Yeah, think Tombstone from the movie. It's just yeah. everything pops up and all kinds of businesses change hands. There's a couple of regulars that have a firm foothold on what you can and cannot do and, and businesses that they're running there, but it's – Everything else is kind of changing hands rather rapidly. And so the the if you have a boxed set of par length, you are in for a special treat. If you don't, see if you can get one somewhere on eBay or whatnot. I'm pretty sure are the downloads available from Fossil Yes, Games.com? yep. The, the, it is it, the, everything that is in that box is available in PDF. Um, so that is if you can't get anything else, that is one yeah. place to go. But yeah, yeah actually, I. Somebody posted as of this recording today on the Earth Dawn Guild Facebook group that they had come across a still plastic wrapped copy of the Parlanth box set. 
and Beautiful. got it for a song. I think for <laughs> I think they paid I think they paid ten dollars for it, but it was like fifteen dollars shipping, and they were like, "I was never happier to pay more for shipping than for the actual thing I bought." No kidding, because it's thirty years, it's twenty five years old, and you pretty much got it for the price it came out for. I mean, it was yeah dollars in nineteen ninety three or five or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you pretty much just got it for cost. At this yeah, point. So and and you actually got it away with five bucks. Parlength itself is a real like campaign setting like the box presents everything that you need and you can run an entire multiple circle game out of par length and the stuff that's going on there without needing to even venture tremendously far outside its walls no the 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 source book inside the box set is black covered as tech designs it really takes a a glaring light to bring it to you it is 67 pages of nothing but setting and people and things you can do and treasures and monsters and beasties and so forth and And presents and presents options like as it goes through the various sections like it says here are like two or three different options that you can choose in terms of how things might be in in the reality of your own uh campaign for this is is torgax treasure really secreted away in in you know a a vault underneath his store or is the are the rumors of his vast wealth over exaggerated in that most of it is sunk into the actual you know building and supplies and stuff that are there and he's not sitting on a king's ransom of actual gold and silver yeah and that's just some of the ones in haven if right actually get into the knee deep into par length past the singing fountain, which is creepy, uh, into some other catacombs, east, north, west, and south. It has options on, is this what the horror is doing? Or is this what the horror is doing? Or is this what the horror is doing? And so it's... And and there's a lot of space within that setting for yes. a game master to develop their own like have their own areas and develop their own characters and storylines and stuff because it is a it is i mean it's a ruined city but it is a Mm -hmm. city and that is a a very large area and broadly speaking it's divided up into some sections that each kind of have their own theme and focus but there is absolutely room and plenty of places for a game master to plop their own stuff down unlike to to draw a sort of D parallel unlike say undermountain which is like the mega dungeon of the forgotten realms yeah. okay mm-hmm. which is extensively or at least the upper levels of it are kind of extensively mapped out and while there are sections of it i think that that are kind of left empty for dms to to do their own thing with um mm-hmm. it is still largely like square by square mapped out Right. And that's yeah, not there's... that's not the case with with Parlength. That's not really the case with Earthdawn in general. That's actually one of the things that I have always kind of appreciated about that to take a, a slight detour here is detour. that the the maps that are presented, at, you know, not only like the 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 province wide maps like of Save itself, but of like the cities and the underground complexes and dungeons and things like that are not graph paper masterpieces like they are Mm -hmm. very moody and quite often presented like a lot of other things as in setting stuff somebody made this who was there and maybe it's not the world's most accurate um and that it's it's there more to give you a sense of the general layout rather than a tactical bit that you will load out on your tabletop and and game table you know 
map out your your templates and, yeah, and mini minis and stuff. Inch. I mean, that's fine. That is un- unfortunately, I think maybe as well a little bit of a mismatch between the sort of old school range and facing mechanics that are kind of presented in the combat chapter and with spells and things and maps that are not to that degree of tactical accuracy. I, I tend to be more theater of the mind and play a little bit fast and loose with ranges and stuff like that kind of going to with what works in terms of the story and the emotions and the needs of the moment um, rather than, Mm-hmm. You know, than that. But the par length kind of epitomizes that as the poster map that is in the par length box um, <laughs> is two feet by three. Yeah, feet um, but it is a replica of the map wall. And what the map wall is, is it's a it's a yes. big section of stone wall in Haven on which people have basically like painted an outline of the city walls and then everybody goes and and paints their own like map stuff on it but nobody there's like no agreed upon scale some people use one color to represent the surface and another the catacombs uh, like and and so forth there's there's, there's no, no agreed, agreed upon, upon like what here. the various symbols mean and so you know it's yes. it's the 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 concerns of oh we're going to you know, and and the inserts that are with it, like that have the maps and whatnot, are all kind of along similar lines. Is that there's not the the old school D and D like mapping? Okay, we go thirty feet, and then the corridor turns ninety degrees right, and we, you know, like there's there's not mm-hmm. that sense of things. It is a, a lot more fluid and loose in terms of stuff like that, which you know can can be a plus or a minus depending on your particular style. I think it's a plus. Yeah, I I do as well. The amount of stuff in the box set is just overwhelmingly detailed and a beautiful thing to look at because Vartigal's mm-hmm. contracts are in there. All the handouts you could give the players look like they're on parchment right. and they look like a, a, a whole separate font was used to describe all these things. And if you go to Vartigal's lore exchange and you buy stuff, I made my my players sign as their characters on those forms and hand them back over to me. So I had them in the book. And so it was one of those, oh, no, no, you said, and I could whip out that contract if I needed to. But the legend cards in full color with the character stat, the creature stats on the back or the legend stats on the back for the items you could pick up, the straw men, the false men, the Jehuther that was in there, deceivers, those things are creepy looking. The scurriers. Um, <laughs> all of this. All scurriers, I couldn't remember their name as well. All of that in there is just wonderful things to have to immerse yourself into the feeling of what par length is. And that's before you actually have the player characters cross that double door threshold of big white stone from Haven past the map wall, which is 20 feet away into the laneway of right. par length because it's built on, it's basically, it's, it's a, it's more of a trapezoid, a, a type rectangle. Yeah. Trapezoid. Um, and it's, it's a, well, a parallelogram so laneway from, Yeah. Upper left to lower right and lower left to upper right. That's an X with a, the, the singing fountain. The screaming middle, fountain, you mean? Before the scourge was was before the scourge was the singing fountain, and after the scourge is now the screaming fountain, which of course just at, at various times will will raise a ruckus yeah. and drive people that are near it um, a little bit batty. Insane. And uh, there is <laughs> potentially some kind of connection between it and. 
uh, like the the level of activity that is proceeding and the the actual like threat of assault on Haven itself. Yes. And then those yes. those laneways and basically divide the city up mm-hmm. into into four quarters. Yes. Above ground quarters because below ground is a whole right. But even but even the, the below ground quarters <laughs> are roughly divided as well along those lines. Yes. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so going clockwise. So so Haven is on the south eastern corner of the ruins and is built sort of partially in the yes. ruins and then has sections of it that are outside the city proper. But then going clockwise around mm-hmm. from Haven um, above ground, you've got the twists, which is a, an area where all of the streets are kind of curved. And each of these districts in the original plan of the city had a purpose and stuff. And I'm going to recommend at this point, if you want to get more into depth on Parlength, track down the live from Bar Save series of episodes. They yes. did. They did like four, three or four episodes on Parlength and go into a lot more depth than we are going into here. Um, Chad and Rachel mm-hmm. did did that. Yes. So you've got the the twists, which is an area that has a lot of like it was an area that during the scourge, a lot of the magical research into ways to potentially fight off the horrors and whatnot took place. So there's a lot of bizarre magical stuff that kind of happens there. And the streets are all kind of round, curved and twisting and so forth, which is why it's called the twists. That's sort of the southern Mm -hmm. district. The western district is called the war zone. Because basically at that point, it was the area that after they had killed all of the people, the horrors to entertain themselves corrupted false men and basically set up like toy toy, war games, like toy, like (laughs) use them as as toy armies to play back and forth games against each other. And it's largely most of the stuff there is just ruins and and destruction with roving bands of straw men and wax men with commanders and generals of, of more powerful false men. The northern section yep. is the the vaults, I think it's called. That is the area that is the domain of Charcoal Grin, who is a dragon that has taken up mm-hmm. residence and claimed that part of the ruins as her domain. And her underlings and servants called the Unforgivables. Um, and that is the district that was the sort of administrative section um, in and Charcoal Grin herself layers in the former Imperial Palace. And then you've that's the northern because when you're because when you're a dragon, that's what you do. And then (laughs) the uh, the eastern section um, coming back around, like I said, clockwise is the smalls, which was primarily the residential district. Mm -hmm. Um, But all of the the houses and so forth, there are all kind of tight quarters and very kind of like grid layout. But because of the destruction and the barricades and stuff of people that did stuff during the scourge, it is very actually kind of difficult to navigate from point A to point B because you often need to double back and or clear stuff out of the way or cut through a ruined building and all of the potential problems that can go along with that. So like each of those areas has its own kind of kind of flavor and idea to it. And uh, then beneath each of those are catacombs, the underlevels, which are a lot yes. less clearly defined intentionally i think to Mm -hmm. to give game masters more room to develop their own stuff and have them in there obviously each of them sort of has a purpose like the the catacombs under the smalls the the eastern catacombs are primarily the domain of twice born the uh the tuscrang cadaver Mm -hmm. woman uh and uh who is the the self-styled queen of the of of parlance cadaver man 
group, or at least the the yes. sentient the 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 comparatively sane ones as opposed to the you know more feral ones that you might find in other parts of the ruins. Yeah. This is a you could pretty much if your team survives, and that's the thing, if your party survives, you could just kind of keep them in Haven, dabbling into par length back and forth for oh, a yeah. number of adventures. It is it is, like a, said, it is a it is a it is a campaign it is a campaign setting. You can absolutely Yeah. Like we said earlier, you know, run an entire campaign of multiple circles out of par length and not I mean mm-hmm. that's in in one sense what the legends of Barsave adventures are. It is a it is a campaign story yes. arc that is set in in Haven and in Parlength and occasionally ventures outside. Like we have one that uh, uh, does involve the group traveling to um, Care Eidolon and into Bloodwood uh, at one point. Um, but then you've mm-hmm. got um, yeah. uh, Mists of Betrayal, which starts off in the outskirts of Parlength and then kind of ventures again from there to Bloodwood. Um, you've got the Parlength Ad- Adventures yes. book which has three or four adventures and gives ideas about things that can go on. Um, and then there are a whole bunch of adventure seeds and stuff like that in the, in the box set in the campaign book itself um, that you can use. So there is, there is yeah. plenty of stuff there. And despite the strong presence of the horrors within the history of Parlength and that are still in some places lurking in the ruins, it is not necessarily it doesn't have to be a purely high circle character area um, because it is so open no. and and free. You know, it, it you know, it's probably wiser in the early you know stages to maybe not be venturing too far outside of our length uh, outside of Haven. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But, you know, again, the event, the, the Legends of Barsave Adventures give a, an interesting variety of experiences and things like that that you can do with the the city and, and the types of stuff you can do there. Yeah, I didn't take my – I was running the Parlength box set with the uh, Parlength Adventures book. As I said, I've done most of the pre-gens because I thought this was the way to do it because if you're going to give me four adventures I can run in Parlength, let's just do those. That takes a lot of work off of my uh, – some work. It was still a lot to absorb of the information for Parlength. But I – didn't even bring my characters to par length until they hit mm-hmm. fourth circle. And that was where I, I specifically detailed their riverboat passage up and then their their land passage through the jungle and up through the mountains around this and around that. And they could see the ever going storm above one corner of par length. And that was their first hint that they actually saw the dragon mm-hmm. flying into its lair. And, it was, and that was their first ever sighting of a dragon because I've specifically have been holding them off all this time from actually having seen one. And so I made sure that they noticed that and then, you know, got them in through the gates and the whole nine yards. Cause I had done this whole uh, big setup to draw them to Parlength on purpose. So I waited a long time to get them there. And then I ran them through the four adventures in the order that I chose to do them, but it was, yeah, not everybody survived. <laughs> going into par length and not everybody survived getting back out of Haven. So it was a very fun place to set it and to run all these other characters and do all the myriad things that they could do because it was a whole new set of things for them to combat a whole bunch of new horrors and undead and all kinds of things. So, and then, you know, and then on top of the, of the dark adventure and danger of the ruins itself, you've got the, 
personalities and people of Haven and the various goals and objectives and so forth, you know, representatives, you know, got known not only the the local power of Torgak and his associates, you've got interests, of course, from the Kingdom of Thrall, as well as Thera and Bloodwood, um, because there's a lot of Mm -hmm. valuable lore and treasure and magic items and so forth that are in the ruins and powerful things that, um, you know, would be a useful reward a, a useful tool for for any kind of of uh individual who can get a hold of them and sometimes the perhaps the only way to learn the appropriate information for a key knowledge is to find it lurking somewhere in the the ruins in a forgotten forgotten mm-hmm. library or Tentacle. or something along those lines so even yeah. even if so. you don't necessarily set an entire campaign out of it it is Absolutely something, especially if you're going to have a game that that may be more in the horror avenue is something that that Mm -hmm. would be uh, would be of interest. Yeah, it's I ran all four from there and my party was just kind of like, okay, we've we've had (laughs) enough of our length. This is nowhere we want to be again anytime soon. So they were more than happy to hit the trail after they were all done with that because a lot of things happened and a lot of money was lost and a lot of money was made, not necessarily in that order. And things were found. People lost. were left behind because yeah, characters didn't quite make it. Uh, so it's it's a wonderful little change up from just going to this little shanty town, that little shanty town. Part length is a different town all together. There's nothing else in the setting quite like it. Nope. So absolutely highly as much as possible. So if you are looking for an old school dungeon crawly, like mega setting where you can just venture into places and kill stuff, Parlength is definitely something that you want yeah. to look at. <laughs> You, you know, do you, you do need to be a little bit careful, kind of like what we talked about the, the other week with horrors in terms of them being a, a dangerous opponent. Um, venturing into the ruins of Parlane generally should be something that you approach with at least a, some degree <laughs> of, of planning and yeah. concern. And, you know, the, the, the research and investigation phase of things, like learning as much as you can about where you're going before mm-hmm. you go there. Um, because people who just kind of venture randomly into the ruins tend to get themselves Could killed, be. you know, because not only are there still horrors lurking around, you've got the myriad traps that that were set by the residents of Parlength back during the scourge to try and protect areas from the horrors um, that may have been triggered but have been reset by scurriers, which are minor horrors that lurk in the ruins and really enjoy resetting traps. But both magical and mundane, yes. Both magical and mundane, because they kind of derive sustenance from the pain that, that <laughs> trapped people encounter. You know, they sort of link to the trap and they trap people and they kind of derive sustenance from that. And and so Again, sort of like a, a a dark adventure. You know, there, there is there is certainly some some heroic, but really kind of epitomizes the the, the Earth on themes of the the forgotten past and exploring and discovering lost knowledge and treasures and things like that. Um, is is certainly something that features very highly in Parlay. It's it's not to be ta- undertaken lightly because the main thing I'll tell any game master or any player if they're going to go down Parlay throat is it is a resource plan because once you cross those gates mm-hmm. 
you are on your own. There are no stops along the way to resupply anything. <laughs> Food, water, yep. shelter, healing potions, nothing like that. So you go in with what you came with and you better get out with what you came with. That's pretty much it. So it's a resource plan for the game master to know where everything is supposed to be, how many traps are there, how many monsters you're going to throw at them, so forth, until they get back out again. Because if they need to go back down that laneway into Haven to get out, the guards are going to charge them once they enter those gates. They go, oh yeah, we see you coming. <laughs> we'll open the gates for you, but if anything's following behind you, you're on your own. So yeah. it's, yeah, it just, just, it's, it's not your typical underground dungeon crawl. Cause there's open sky unless you go to the catacombs, but it is a completely different right. dungeon crawl. The earth dawn way. And that's a yeah. very high, high mark. So Yeah. <laughs> like so many other things in Earth Dawn, it takes a it takes a classic fantasy gaming mm -hmm. archetype and twists and it. and slants it or twists it a little bit to make it something Better. special, um, very you know recognizable but but special and unique yes. in its own so, way. Again, can't recommend highly enough. We should stop gushing about par length because it is a fantastic campaign setting. And every once in a while, I threaten to take my party back there, and they. Um, We'll go along with whoever else I tell. <laughs> so they don't have to go back to far late because <laughs> that was a slog for them. They they earned their stripes on that on that uh, series of adventures back and forth. And they got a lot of legend points for it, as they should have. So they deserved every one of them. Anyway, uh, now that we've killed roughly half an hour or more, uh, we can move on to our second topic of the evening and talk about a few things mechanical as far as we really kind of glossed over how weapons and armor mechanics kind of work in the fourth edition. They're pretty simple. We shouldn't be uh, long on this one, but yeah, we don't right. have any questions for it. We haven't gotten any questions for it. It's pretty straightforward, but we should probably it, at least cover the basics of weapons and armor in sure. this game. Cause I know my favorite bit of information about it is uh, obsidian can only wear living armor. So that's fun. Right. That's, that's, that's yeah, because because Obsidian and we haven't talked about them as a race in an episode yet, but they have natural yeah. armor. And so to as a balance to that, uh, they can only wear certain types of armor to enhance their their natural ability. And what are called living armors are basically magical in yeah. one sense or so another. In Earth Dawn, we've got regular good old fashioned armor and weapons. And then we've got magical armor and weapons. We can kind of dis distinguish those two right there. Uh, you've got your... Yeah, we'll go into more detail <laughs> about the about the magical aspect of things in, in a later episode, because that certainly deserves oh, focal, f some focus of its absolutely. own. But but basically, the, the idea being, for the most part, that magical weapons and armor will provide you additional bonuses to damage in the case of weapons or defensive capability or armors but they typically also have s some other abilities or bonuses or things like that that they mm -hmm. will provide as well like for example a suit of armor that is um magical as a result of its either was because it was deliberately made for a thief adept or because it was strongly associated with a thief adept and so has developed powers connected to that may provide in addition to just better armor protection might provide bonuses to you know, uh, to stealthy yes. stride or to um, lock picking or to uh, disarm traps, depending on, you know, the story of the uh, thief in question and and what might have been going on there. 
and and weapons, you know, the same way. While they will frequently have increases to the damage that they do, may provide bonuses to attack tests or may provide like, oh, you know, for a point of strain, you can basically light the sword on fire, you know, the way that you would if an elementalist cast yeah. flame weapon on it. Um, so that, you know, we'll, we'll go into more details in a later episode on exactly how that whole thing works with, with magic items. But that's, you know, when you're talking about thread weapons and armor, they just basically do the same stuff that we're going to talk yes. about here now, just okay. a little bit so more. So unlike D&D's Thacko, you know, to hit armor class zero, armor doesn't right. change your number to be hit like D&D does. So in Earthon, right. armor is there merely yeah. as a protect as a protection. Your physical defense is one thing and your physical armor is different. And your social your spell defense yes. is one They are I mean they are they are very they are verily yeah, they're they're linked but they are not they're independent values. Your your physical defense which is based yes. off of your dexterity is, is how difficult you are yes. to get hit. Physical armor then if you do get hit basically reduces the amount of damage that you will take from the from the blow. So the more armor that you have, the higher your physical mm -hmm. armor rating, or mystic armor, if it provides a mystic armor bonus totally. and it's a mystic attack, will reduce the damage. So if you get hit by a sword and the the you the the attacker rolls twelve on their damage and you have hardened leather armor, which has a physical armor mm -hmm. rating of five, you subtract that five from the twelve and you actually only take seven yes. points of damage. And that is the case regardless of regardless yeah. of that. So and and that's the same for spell defense and mystic armor all across the board. Right. There's just there's, a, there's yep. only one thing that's different is there's a social defense, but there is no social armor. <laughs> so right. one of those things. Because because the social interaction rules have their own thing that's going on that we may talk about in another we episode as well. So the the thing I want to point out is in all the other previous three editions of Earth Dawn, we had something called armor defeating hits. In a fourth edition, right. we don't. So just in case, because we've had a lot of people say, I'm finally getting back into Earth Dawn for the first time in X number of years, we can kind of quickly run down the difference as to why we got away, why it was beneficial to, and I know we've covered this before, but just yeah. in case, we get rid of armor defeating hits. Yeah, we, we have. In, in previous editions, basically, if you rolled above a certain threshold of your target's mm -hmm. physical defense, you would completely bypass their armor. It was an all or nothing uh, affair. It didn't matter how setting aside certain abilities that might have increased the, the difficulty of that threshold. If you broke that threshold, whatever it happened to be, didn't matter how much armor that they mm -hmm. had on, whether they were in just simple leather, whether they were in a suit of full crystal plate. They, you know, if you beat yeah. that threshold, then the armor did not reduce the the damage at all. It's it's earth. It was sort of the earth on equivalent of, yes. of critical hits. The the problem that comes up with that is that as the attack steps increase and they increase generally faster than the defense ratings do outside of mm -hmm. things like avoid blow, there would come a point where it was fairly it would be reliable that characters who are not physically focused, spellcasters, some of the some of the specialist classes or whatnot who are not necessarily have a yeah. high dexterity, would basically reliably any time that they would get hit would have an armor defeating hit. And so it wouldn't really matter what they armor yeah. that they had on because the armor wouldn't really do much of anything. 
there were, you know, ways around that with group patterns where you could boost your physical defense and, and things like that. But for the most part, that's, you know, even those were, were limited to a certain extent. So if you're going up against an opponent that has a, a high attack and you don't have a great defense, you know, the armor is is not really going to end up doing much good for you. And so it, it kind of mechanically disincentivized the idea of the slower but but strong and more heavily armored um, mm-hmm. fighter type that that the Obsidiman really like epitomized in one sense. But in fourth edition, rather than having an all or nothing, basically each threshold, each additional success over the target just basically defaults to dealing mm-hmm. additional damage, which will in theory, help overcome whatever armor that the that the target is weight wearing. It still means that a low physical defense is not ideal because it's still going to. But if you've got a low physical defense, <laughs> then you can wear heavier arm. I mean, it's easier to hit you, but you can wear heavier armor, and it will at least, in some sense, mitigate the damage that you'll be that you'll yeah. be taking from that. And then the other thing that we tweaked is that shields instead of adding additional armor which is what they did mm-hmm. in previous editions, now add to defense. So so that the armor ratings don't tend to be quite as high as they were in previous editions, but physical defense ratings tend to maybe be a little bit higher for those characters that are Fair. using a shield. So um which actually means which actually means that obsidian suddenly um have become quite a bit more effective in combat because they will typically they mm-hmm. won't wear be wearing much in the way of armor. Um, at least at low circles, because they'll just have their their natural okay. their natural armor. But they will typically be carrying a big mm-hmm. shield, which gives them a decent physical defense bonus, helping somewhat overcome their slightly lower dexterity and lower. Big, yeah, you're big and slow and easy to hit. <laughs> and and so a an obsidian man with reasonable physical defense and especially a magic shield is going to become suddenly a lot harder to do mm-hmm. significant damage to. And I kind of like how that has changed the way that they feel in play. They no longer feel quite so much as as the um, melee glass cannon, where if they are able to get in and get a hit, they'll do a lot of damage because they're really strong. But if somebody hits them, mm-hmm. um, they're going to tend to, yeah, they, 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 will, <laughs> they will suffer. I mean, they, they tend to have higher toughnesses and whatnot anyway, but they're low armor generally because they don't have as many armor choices cause some problems. So I, I, I think it works out. I, I think it works out well. So that's, that's the situation with armor and kind of why we made the changes, which we've, which we've talked about there before. So yeah. So armor always works because it was always difficult for me to explain how an armor defeating hit got past blood pebble. Yeah. I mean, the blood, blood pebble <laughs> did not necessarily cover every square inch of a person's body. Like there would not be any blood pebble on the person's head. Agreed. Um, for instance, and probably Great. not like on necessarily like in the joints, like where other armor is weaker. They, they probably would not have mm-hmm. as many, yes, uh, as much there. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's a different approach. I think that, it, yeah, that got, that got nitpicky yeah. for me on occasion to say, uh, you know, there's no, where did it hit you on the body? Cause it, part of the cinematic storytelling of, did it go bypass your blood pebble armor? Because it's not, so I, it's, I like the fact in fourth edition, I've come around to it a lot, which is, I, I love the, yeah, I mean, that's it. I love that chart. It was a great thing to use. However, to your point that you've made at least a number of times on this podcast alone, which is, your armor right. should always count. Yeah. That's why you wear it. 
And whether or not you're wearing a helmet or not is kind of irrelevant. There's no you know body part that we're hitting for, cinematically speaking. There's no chart to use on where they hit you. If you want to tell that story, go ahead. I mean, yeah, Otherwise, and and at that point, yeah, I, I am, I am, I tend to be one who is a bit more like roll the dice and see what the results are, and then kind of narrate what happens as a result of those rolls. So if somebody gets a mm-hmm. good if somebody hits and gets a really, really good damage result, you know, that's, yeah. you know, okay, well, in that case, well, maybe they, they, you know, they, they did a, a scalp wound or, or something like that, or, you know, something along those lines. I mean, I've played systems like Roll Master and stuff that have hit locations and like extensive charts and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they're fun after a fashion, but it's not my particular style. Hey, if, if you're into that, you know, go for it. I am. I, I I found a chart online uh, many 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 years ago. Body part charts. It was based yeah. on a D10, so real simple. You can even get dice these complex. days, so like a D12, and that have like the different body parts as the various faces. Leg, torso. Yeah, I've got them. Uh, just in case I didn't ever find my charts, uh, but I, I I tweaked them because it was basically for humans, and then I tweaked one for Tiskrang because mm-hmm. they have a tail you can hit, and I tweaked one for Windlings because they have wings you can hit. No, yeah, so that's cool. Harder. So I just redistributed those. Yeah, so I did. Th- I did that along those lines, and somebody had really good mechanics for if a, a dwarf is attacking a troll, pretty much you know they're not going to be able to get from the chest mm-hmm. up, really. Or if the troll is attacking the dwarf, it's kind of a different thing because they're not really going to be able to leg sweep them a whole lot. So they they just roll a d six, and these are the body parts you can possibly hit. So I I, I co-opted those for my table, but we uh, I want to come back to this thing about shields because. I remember in third edition that there was something about blocking with a shield that I think uh, I tried to look it up earlier today and I failed miserably, but I know you were part of third edition a little bit. Yes. And so you could actually roll some dice and actually try and block the incoming attack with a shield. Yeah, what third edition did was they had both an avoid blow and parry as separate talents. And the, that's what I was Yes, thinking. the idea was, I guess, that avoid blow would be just for dodging or physically avoiding the attack. And then parry was a separate talent that would involve, as opposed to dodging, would involve blocking, whether with a shield yes. or parrying with your with your weapon. Yes. Obviously, because parry is no longer in fourth edition, is not in fourth edition, I felt that that was an yeah. unnecessary level of mechanical difference detail um and that that avoid blow is just a single talent that allows you to whether it is to dodge or parry or some other way of preventing the attack from hurting you gotcha so so that's why i i i did that it's no worries my my players have done enough of uh live action role playing and theater that they had done some stage combat and so they were wanting to be able to block something instead and basically hold that attack there so they, they we tried to do a, a a twist or a knack on repost we tried to do a twist or a knack on the parry and then so we wrote our own homebrewed rules and then we found parry in the third edition and said look we had the exact same mechanics yeah. that they did and and i just smart. i so, at that point you know, th- basically, you've got two talents that are doing the same thing. Yes. That, you know, basically that being trying to prevent a an attack from landing and doing damage. I, I don't mm-hmm. think you need two separate talents that I don't even know. I think Perry might have potentially had some kind of bonus to it based on the weapon you were using. I don't remember now, but 
Um, I don't either. And that's the thing. It's been many, like, many years since I had like, to p- pull that memory you, out. You, so, have, yeah. you have a void blow, and then you can narrate the result of whether you are dodging or sidestepping or blocking or parrying the mm-hmm. the the attack um and then the riposte yeah. talent on its own included like that it makes sense to be different because in addition to the defensive capability of oh do i prevent the attack from landing it also provides the offensive counter strike to to yes. that so i i think you know avoid blow as any kind of defensive preventative defensive measure against a physical attack it doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether you are blocking it with your shield or you know parrying it with your sword or <laughs> stepping out of the way it's all like it's all the same result you don't need to have you know four different talents that work functionally the same mm-hmm. no fair like i said i i wanted to bring that up in case anybody was a holdover from third edition for that mm-hmm. blocking possibility we i think we just wrote it down as a combat option and not necessarily a talent but i would need to go back to my notes sure but anyway like i said because the rules for shields change the armor rating into a defensive i lost my word a minute ago that the, in fourth edition shields physical provide defense. a physical defense bonus physical now defense instead of a like that the 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 blocking with a shield is now built into the mechanics of them uh, like the the typical role that they play in terms of a of a defensive aspect that is common to role playing games, uh, historical use of shields potentially notwithstanding. Yeah. So that's a whole different thing. And then remind me if shattering a shield is still in the rules. Should I be looked up the rules on that anytime soon as a combat option. So I know there's a shatter threshold usually built in. I mean, yes, if the shatter, shatter threshold, threshold is on is on the shield equipment so. list, then it is it is still uh, yes. it is still an option. So, yes, page four thirty five. So that is still there. Yay, um, good for me. I hadn't. Nobody in my party right now is using a shield, so I had to ask that question for anybody else. So because it needed to be asked. Yeah, uh, the rules for shattering a shield are on page three eighty five of the player's guide under combat options. There we go. Yes. So okay, it was still there. Sorry, folks. It just, I need to be thorough, and I. Need to be thorough for the listeners, not just me and my party. So one of those things. But yeah, so really, I don't think any major changes happened to any of the weapon damages or hand sizes or anything along those lines. No, not really. No, like the the basic the basic idea of a of of weapons that they have a like minimum strength that is required for the character to to wield them effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a size which determines whether they are one-handed or two-handed for a particular name giver race. And then they have a damage step. Roughly speaking, the, the damage step kind of scales with the, the size. You know, larger weapons yeah. do more base damage. Some of them have special capabilities like entangling an opponent or stuff like that. I didn't really look at the numbers on the, like all of the sort of secondary numbers on the chart in terms of making weapons like the costs and weights and all of that stuff. I didn't really look at those all that closely. No, it's okay. It It's mainly does the, does the damage size, does the damage scale with size appropriately and just kind of went from there. My favorite was always that the quarterstaff gave you a plus one uh, physical defense in close combat. That was just my my all time favorite because it was one of those little rules in first edition, I think even second edition, third, that yeah, if you were using a quarter staff, 
you got a plus one physical defense. Huh. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying it, it wasn't the case, but it's not something that I remember. It might have been something in either second or third edition, because yeah. I'm pretty sure that that was not the case in first, because I had the I had a warrior that I played in a game who used a quarter staff as his weapon, at least starting out. And I don't recall there being a defense bonus oh. because of that. No, it's when you uh, so I'm looking at page 407 now quarter staff uh, wielder adds a plus one physical defense when using defensive stance combat is that so that's what that is fourth edition is it yeah page page 407 right there oh when when using okay gotcha gotcha yeah when you're in a defensive stance yeah we have to be using that that combat option okay yep 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 okay no that's the part i forget until the 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 quarter staff (laughs) the quarter staff is a it is visually sort of an iconic weapon like Mm -hmm. the the you know it, it but in terms of its i i think the fourth edition version of it is better i don't remember what the early stats of it were now off the top of my head um uh, it's I it's either. i that's why we make tables and write it yeah. down so. um <laughs> i i, I do remember being somewhat disappointed that with the restrictions on forge blade and stuff like that mm-hmm. it the the quarter staff in first edition was really kind of a rummy weapon like i think its base damage might have only been two or three um, I think you're right. Which so yeah, which meant that it, which meant that it couldn't even because of the the rule that got introduced about you couldn't forge a weapon more than its base damage step meant that it that mm-hmm. even fully forged it wasn't as good as a sword. Yes, you know the, those those were sort of the the early inklings of my feelings towards story over simulation going like Fair. like a a character who fights with a quarterstaff and is super effective with it is like a common thing mm-hmm. and the game it rules is. did not support that fair i applaud you and i appreciate you changing that because now quarterstaff is a step four so like i said but just yeah i love the fact that not only are there swords and well spears, and 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 now there is no and now we we did away we did away with the with the the forging restrictions from forge yes. weapon so you can forge a quarterstaff as much as you can forge anything mm-hmm. else and effectively make them all all pretty decent yes, weapons. And so not go down the, forge you know, that, that, that the idea of the, the staff ended up kind of being like, Oh, the, the staff is not a weapon as it is so much a thing that a spellcaster carries as a symbol of their <laughs> power. Kind of the, the magical staff thing from, from D and D, you know, Gandalf and, and his staff, um, as opposed to, you know, and Gandalf kicked butt Absolutely. with his staff, uh, at least certainly in the in the movies. He he clocked plenty of things over the yes. head with it. But yeah, I, you know, I, I'm. No, Bruce Lee with a quarter staff you know, is there's, a lot more dangerous than <laughs> some guys with a sword. So, yes, <laughs> there, there's some there's some legacy aspects to some of the, the numbers and stuff in the weapons that if I'm completely honest, I'm not crazy about. And that, you know, again, because it was the first book and I, I I didn't really feel the need to examine them too closely. That's all right. Most of those were not broken in the first place. Yeah. No, I mean, for four, you know, for for the changed what they could could be done with them. So that automatically kind of leveled the playing mm -hmm. field there. My only other thought was I happen to have all of the third edition books, which means I have the Cathay player's book and that has a whole different slew of weapons in there that 
I would not mind introducing to my players once upon a time, but Cathay is a whole separate beast that, <laughs> like Force Weapon, we won't go down yeah, that path I mean, too far. You know, if 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 I'm if I'm perfectly honest, like I kind of need to ask myself, really, mm-hmm. what is the difference? Like, there is very little functional difference Agreed. between a broadsword and a scythe and yes. axe. Right? They're both size three. They're both strength minimum 12. They're both damage step mm-hmm. five. You know, the difference between them is they, they're, they both weigh four pounds. Yes. They, the, the difference is the scythe and ass cost 20 silver while the broadsword costs 25. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, <laughs> at that point you, you go to, like, it's the, why does AD&D's weapons chart have 15 different varieties of polar? Yeah, I agree. It's like, getting out of you know, there's, there is a, there is a degree of, there's a degree of crunch. There is a, a level of, there is, there is a false granularity mm-hmm. there that, you know, I, I just sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes just kind of like, if I sit there and think about it, just kind of like sits with me the wrong way. Now, admittedly, the Scythe and Axe was not in the original first edition weapons list. I don't think. I don't think so either. I think it was something that was that was added in yes. later. Um, I think it might have been introduced maybe in the Thrall Source book. Sounds I don't know. Sounds right. It might have been in the it might have been in the original in the original rule book. Um, Mine's not. But <laughs> you know, uh, uh, again, the the difference between them is that a broadsword is easier to come by and slightly more expensive. Yeah. At, at that point, like, why don't you have a, like... Because you can stab with a sword, you can't stab with an axe. That's pretty much it. Granted, now, the scythe and axe does, by its existence and its description, build out the setting mm-hmm. a little bit. Like, this is the axe that was used by the dwarves of Scytha, yes. and it is special in this mm-hmm. way, and it has this kind of, like, whatever. But there, there's a... Like, yeah, the, the term that I used earlier, a, a false granularity. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like there is more difference because of the number of things on the list than there actually yes. is. Um, and I think some of the things are, are on there from, like, legacy expectations of what sorts of weapons you will see on a weapon chart mm-hmm. in a game. Like, you've got your three or four different kinds of swords based on size. You've got your, your combat axes, the, the, the hand axe, the, the two-handed yep. battle axe. You've got your quarter staff. You've got your pole arms. You've got your, like, You've got this this <laughs> variety of, of stuff there, but the actual range of numbers that the, that is being played with, you know, like how, why how don't you just can they be sure? Like a size like a size three weapon is base damage step five, and here are examples of what that mm-hmm. could be. Yeah, you know, it's a different way to rearrange um, the same chart. <laughs> and again, this this is not like this. This feels perhaps a, a little bit like nitpicky and i understand like the legacy and the the tabletop the fantasy rpg roots that this develops mm-hmm. from but it's just one of those things that that you look at it and and i think you know i think about it for a little bit and i just go that just you know yeah <laughs> i'm okay with that so as as part of the weapons and armor discussion we've covered a lot of the weapons actually in one or two in detail armor Again, I, I love the fact that there are some specific armors to Earth Dawn that you don't find in other places. I mean, you got your simple plate mail, you got your ring mm-hmm. mail, you got your leather, your padded leather, and your hide. Then you get into the right. weird ones that aren't necessarily typical for other games. You get Living Crystal, Blood Pebble, and then Obsidian Skin. 
Skidman skin, yeah. Uh, the, the armor has the advantage that there that there are two ratings. Mm-hmm. That there's the that there's the the physical and the it's well, it's got sort of three things really that are oh, coming yeah. into play: the physical armor rating, the mystic armor rating, and the initiative yes. penalty. Because heavier armors penalize your initiative, meaning that you will act later in the mm-hmm. combat round, yeah. typically. Um, and that right. those having those three values allows a greater degree of control and granularity Mm -hmm. that it doesn't feel like you are repeating yourself like there is a difference it feels like there is an an actual difference beyond just like the price between hardened leather and hide armor both of which provide physical armor five but the hide armor as a more natural thing and i think it is it considered a living armor i'm not not sure but provides a a bit of a mystic a mystic armor bonus that the that that hardened leather Mm -hmm. doesn't and so that, and then like Blood Pebble, which is also physical armor five, but has Mystic armor three. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, and, and then and, Fern and so weave. there, there's the other one I forgot, Fern Weave, and then Fern Weave, which is sort of the the lighter, you know, magical armor and stuff. So there's it's like living, it's like living vines crawling all over you. Yeah. Yeah. So so you what you've got is you've got the 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 typical like progression of like soft leather, hard leather. Like ring mail, chain mail, plate mail, like you've got that kind of typical fantasy progression of, of mm-hmm. armor types. But then interspersed with that, you've got, okay, and here are some more exotic ones like Fernweave, like Blood Pebble, like Living yes. Crystal that maybe have the same physical armor as another type, but have mystic armor bonus that goes along with it and are exotic and kind of flesh out the setting. So I've never had the problem with armors the way that i do with with melee weapons in the sense that it just feels like there's more variety than the numbers actually oh, yeah. support and then, because there are more there are more numbers and and consequently more dials that you can yes, play I with like, i like the armor list more so than the weapons list because the weapons list is like I, I can't call it standard but it's pretty standard across mm-hmm. most of your fantasy games swords axes uh you know pole arms quarterstaff whip yay but in Earth Dawn, you've got that slightly elongated armor list that includes, you know, things like wyvern skin. That's just a little bit right. different than you're expecting to find right off the bat, because that's the normal, typical armor list. It's not like it's a hidden treasure somewhere. Wyvern skin, you can find that maybe if you're in the right city. I mean, it's it's expensive. <laughs> it's, expensive. it's it's super expensive and yes, rare, but it can be found because it's on the darn list so it's not like it's wait it's not like it's hidden behind the it's a magical thing it's a magical item to attain later on that only special people get no it's if you can find the right city if you have the right amount of coin you can get it and it's yeah Yeah. it's slightly more attainable than you know thread armor and thread weapons and things like that so what do you think we beat this horse long enough is it dead i think yeah (laughs) i i think I think we covered some of the mechanics. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the wherewithal about armor and weapons. Yeah, we covered the mechanics. We covered some of the some of the setting aspects. We talked about a couple of the things that that you know are not by any stretch of of the imagination like deal breakers or or bad things. Just you know the the kind of stuff that get has occasionally been remarked upon, yeah. and you know that that as you know when I am like sitting in quiet moments and and for some reason thinking about it can kind of go yeah like. As I as I tinker with variations in my own mind, what would I do different? How would I approach that in a in my own design and and yeah. stuff like that? I meant to dust off my crossbow rules to run them by you, but I didn't think that far ahead. So, <laughs> uh, 
Um, I said a couple of episodes ago yeah. that I rewrote crossbow rules for basically the step system for another game, but I needed to I needed to look them off over myself before I even presented them to you because I'm like, uh, yeah, let's wait on that. So because crossbows is a whole yeah, I don't thing. want I don't I don't want to I don't want to get into the to the bow and crossbow. No, it's okay. Damage We're fine. discussion. We're good. I think we've discussed it on we the did. show previously, <laughs> and I understand from a certain point of view why people might want to do it the way they do, but I think it adds an unnecessary level of complexity layer of complexity yeah. so we're not going to give josh a stroke at least i'm not going to give josh a stroke by asking him about that or following that down that path kind of like the forge weapon we're not going to go Look, down they, i i talked about i think somebody <laughs> asked a, i think somebody asked a question about it in an email and i and yes, i talked about it so we're good covered end of story have a nice day uh we're gonna wrap up the podcast now we're all an hour so we're good uh, <laughs> yeah we're all we're all suited up we're gonna close up shop exactly. here for the we're night good here fine and how uh, are you from Star Wars. So other than that, folks, it is uh, the end of this one. Episode 23, I think. Yeah. Three. Jeez. Yeah. 23 is, is Boy, in the bag. <laughs> we can. I, I'm actually surprised. That I was a little bit surprised that we ended up breaking an hour on that, even with the, yeah, with the stuff. No, it's okay. Otherwise, folks, I thank Josh for making the time. And uh, please. And I thank, I thank Dan for Absolutely. joining me. I'm happy to be here. I... Th- I thank all of you for listening and supporting the game and uh, continuing to help keep that uh, keep that energy and going. You, at this point, you have about maybe one week left on the Kickstarter for the IOPA source book. So by all means. Um, yeah. If you if you have for some reason not been aware of that, uh, check it out. If you have uh, questions or comments or anything else that you want to send our way, that email address, as always, edsgpodcast at gmail.com subscribe so that you don't miss an episode uh, because occasionally I have a power outage and I'm not able to update the Twitter account or the Facebook page right away to say, hey, there's a new episode what? there. Difficulties? Um, so if you subscribe, then you will then you will have it in your feed as soon as your particular podcasting client of choice yes. updates. Uh, subscribe. Um, if your if your podcast catcher allows rate review uh, spread the word digitally. Don't go spread the word in person. Not, 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 not. <clears throat> or spread the word. We'll spread the word in person too. Yeah, I've done I'm that. Just saying with the. I've told people about the COVID nineteen thing. So maybe. Well, from a ten foot distance, shout it. <laughs> from 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 a from a socially from a from an appropriate social exactly. distance. So otherwise, folks. And uh, yeah, the 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 other places, you know, Twitter, Discord, Facebook forums all that sort of stuff which we talk about every week and you can find information on those Absolutely. in the show notes and uh as we as we as of the release of this at least slide into the end of yes. april continue on into actual spring and uh yeah, summer hopefully an end of the quarantine soon so otherwise folks we will see you next time and it's time for you to go make your own legend good night everybody <laughs>